You've probably heard a lot about fish oil. It's one of the most common supplements available after all. But have you wondered if you should be taking it and why you might want to think about it? The simple answer is yes. If you don't have access to fresh fish several times per week, you can likely benefit from supplementation and may even need to. I test many of my patients' fatty acid levels and have found that the overwhelming majority of my patients are low in omega-3s. Omega-3 fatty acids are essential cornerstones of human nutrition. They are deemed essential because we need them for proper health, much like certain vitamins and minerals, but unfortunately we can't produce them on our own. As a result, our only option is to consume these fats either through our diet or through supplementation. Omega-3 fatty acids are known to benefit cardiovascular health, support healthy brain function and cognition, and have been proven to maintain a healthy inflammatory response. For all these reasons, achieving the proper balance of omega-3s is an important health strategy, one for which most people require supplementation. Simplified. Fish oil can help improve your cholesterol, glucose, help your memory, reduce pain, even headaches and menstrual cramps. I typically start my patients with 1 to 2 grams or 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams per day of combined eicosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, which is DHA daily. Our Your Longevity Blueprint Omegas are stabilized in vitamin E oil and rosemary extract is used to ensure maximum purity and freshness. This exclusive fish oil is purified, vacuum distilled, and independently tested to ensure heavy metals, pesticides, and polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs, are removed to undetectable levels. Plus. Our fish oil has the shortest sea-to-shelf time, meaning from fish to bottle or capsule, of only three to six months, as compared to the industry average of 18 to 36 months. Seriously, that means most of the fish oil you buy over-the-counter is old, oxidized, rancid, and not helpful. That fish oil purchased over-the-counter could be three years old already before you ingest it. Yuck. With over 10,000 published studies in the last three decades, EPA and DHA from fish oil are among the most researched natural ingredients available and have a long history of safety and efficacy. Check out more product information on our website, yourlongevityblueprint.com, and use code OMEGA3s for 10% off. Now let's get back to the show. There's a direct correlation between low leptin, anxiety, as well as estrogen levels. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Bindia Gandhi. Today, we're going to discuss leptin resistance, hormone balance, and weight loss resistance. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Bindia Gandhi, who is double board certified by the American Board of Family Medicine, as well as the American Board of Integrative and Holistic Physicians. She completed her family medicine training from Georgia Regents University Medical College of Georgia in June of 2014. She completed her undergraduate training at the University of Georgia with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and Psychology in 2004 and her Doctor of Medicine at American University of Antigua College of Medicine in 2010. She completed an integrative medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona with Dr. Andrew Weil in 2016 and completed functional medicine training with the Institute for Functional Medicine in 2017. Her interests include integrative, holistic, and functional medicine, women's health, preventative medicine, international medicine, and healthcare reform. She's also a certified yoga instructor and Reiki master. She used to practice emergency medicine as well. She is a media expert and contributor to numerous sites, including the Daily Mail, Mind Body Green, Pop Sugar, Clean Plated, Well and Good, and more. 
When she's not working or writing, you can find her in her kitchen, cooking, doing yoga, or enjoying time with her family. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gandhi. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I find most people, I know you have a podcast as well. I'm sure you also find that most individuals we have as guests on our show have their own stories as far as how they came to work in this field. So can you elaborate on your story a bit for us? I know you're a weight loss expert, but kind of tell us what brought you into functional medicine and and what you're doing today. Well, you know, again, thank you again so much for having me. You know, my journey is like so many others. It was because I got sick and I was not getting the answers in the conventional world that led me to dig more and realize that there's this whole other world that exists. We hear this a lot, but my mess became my message, right? I was in residency. I thought I was eating well. I thought I was exercising. I thought I was the epitome of good health. You know, I had had learned all of this in medical school. But in residency, a lot of things started going awry. I started gaining weight. I started having acne. I started having irregular cycles, a lot of headaches, chronic constipation. But it wasn't until a rash on my face that really got me to seek help. Because at this point, it was kind of like managing symptoms, right? That's what we do in medicine. It's like, managing symptoms. Oh, you're constipated. Take some Miralax. Oh, you have a headache. Take this ibuprofen. But the problem didn't go away, right? And so... But it was the rash on my face. It kept getting worse. I had been to dermatologists. I had done allergy testing. I had done everything. Spent thousands of dollars on steroids, on antifungals, on antibacterial. You name it. Every prescription. I probably took it, tried it. Oral cream. (laughs) I was desperate to get it off of my face, right? And of course, I would was self-conscious of it would cover it up with makeup and it would make things worse and it would come and it would go. This honestly, Stephanie went on for two years and I kept asking and I was spinning my wheels, you know, kind of like just going in circles, um, had biopsies done, still nothing, everything was normal. Finally, I went to an allergy immunology doctor and I was kind of like essentially begging for additional testing. I was like, do I have an autoimmune condition? Am I nutrient deficient? Like something is going on. I don't know what it is, but this is cannot be normal. Like this is not normal. You know, I couldn't pinpoint anything. He didn't want to do any allergy testing on me, didn't want to do any testing on me. And at that point, kind of insinuate, insinuated, sorry, that I, it was in my head. Like, oh, you're just a burnt out, stressed out resident. Kind of suck it up and deal with it. And I was like so distraught, disappointed and discouraged at that time. And kind of was like, this is it. I've got to take my health back into my control found a functional medicine doctor, long story short, found out I had celiac and cut out gluten, constipation went away, acne went away, cycles got better, headaches went away, lost some weight. (laughs) I mean, you name it. It was kind of, that was the beginning of, of my journey. And then I was like, I've got to learn more about functional medicine and Integrative medicine. This was the time I also enrolled with Andrew Weil, the University of Arizona's program. And yeah, the rest is history, but it was my own health. And since then, was able to kind of um, balance my hormones. It took me a while to get pregnant with my first baby. And now I'm blessed with three kids. It's just different. It's once you're able to biohack yourself and you understand what's going on with your body, your body will work for you. Oh, I love that. Your body will work for you. Um, I, I know you don't know my story, but my story is actually similar to yours. I didn't have a rash, but I also had some issues from gluten. I ended up being, I ended up testing positive for celiac. My biopsy was negative. So I didn't have full-blown celiac, but I was very close. I was on the way, right? And I yeah. had tachycardia and infertility yeah. and you know some yeah. other issues as well. And so our journeys are somewhat similar. We do not like gluten. Gluten is a devil. It does not. I know. <laughs> and it's, so, yeah. it's so funny because like before, like when I first was diagnosed, I'm not going to lie. I was, I cried. I was depressed. I was, and it was Stephanie, it was literally like a couple days before Thanksgiving when I found out the results. And I was like, 
so upset. I was like, you're telling me I can't have gluten and it's Thanksgiving next week. I remember being so upset. And now like literally it's been like 10 years later. Now it's like not a big deal. And I'm like, you can put a croissant in my face and a donut. And it's like, I don't even want that. Like, I don't, I will never go down that road. Agreed. And I, I remember the moment when I, I had ordered testing on myself, actually, and it came through and I thought, oh, crap, right? I'm one of those people. I'm going to have to like, avoid gluten. But it made me empathize with my patients because I had already been advising individuals to go gluten free. And this was also like a decade ago. And then I had to I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to do this myself. And so I think it was very helpful for me to be on that journey with my patients and to be able to empathize with them. And it was harder back then. I think it's easier now. There are so many Oh my God, I say that too. I'm so grateful for all the readily available stuff back then. I mean, it's still expensive. Don't get me wrong. It's still a little pricey to eat gluten-free. But like back then, I remember like a loaf of bread being $7. And as a poor resident, like I was like, I can't afford to eat this. Like, I'd rather just not eat the bread. Like, you're picking and choosing like what you could eat, you know? So my sister-in-law, I remember they were living on the East Coast. She's had celiac, I think, over 15 years. And back then there was like one restaurant in New York City that had gluten-free pizza. Like in New York City, one restaurant. And now you can find them everywhere. So times have changed. So it is becoming a little easier. But well, I digress. Let's get back to weight. And also that impact on fertility and hormones. So I just want to kind of dive into weight loss. Maybe we'll focus on for fertility. Yeah, we can talk about all day, every day. So what I love sharing is there's a lesser known hormone that people are not aware of. It's called leptin. And people don't realize that leptin really impacts your metabolism, your weight, your waistline. But it also impacts other things. It impacts your estrogen production. It impacts your blood sugars. It impacts your cortisol, your thyroid, and so much more. And so it's a little hormone. It's produced by your fat cells and it communicates with your brain. And essentially, leptin's job is to let us know, are you full? Do you need to eat some more or or less? It's your satiety hormone, right? When your body is not getting these signals, you're either overeating, you're not eating enough. Most of the time, you're snacking. You're just not full, right? The message and the signaling is off. This is why this is so important because... When there's a miscommunication, you're more likely to have other things go on, right? You have higher food cravings, you have weight gain, you have sleep disturbances, a little bit of anxiety. You're again, you're more likely to have inflammation. I could go on and on. Like it's just an important hormone to be aware of because it impacts so many of us. Honestly, Stephanie, you and I can relate to this. Like we have been told wrong information from as long as we were born. Okay. Like we were drinking milk because that's what we were told that was good for our body. We were in the phase of in the nineties of eating uh, low fat, everything and diet, everything. And because of all those changing diet cultures over the years, that's impacted our microbiome. That's also impacted our insulin resistance, our, our glucose insulin level and our leptin. So there's so many different things and so many reasons why our leptin hormone is now off. And again, like all these crazy intense diets now, and and I'm not labeling any diet as bad, but like the extremes of keto and intermittent fasting and this and that, like it just has messed up all of our metabolisms. You're saying leptin is important because it's a satiety hormone, right? Tells us we're full, quit eating. So many individuals now leptin resistant. Is that the problem? And if so, how are we becoming leptin resistant? Yeah. So I tend to see that many more people are becoming leptin resistant. So because that miscommunication is off, their metabolism is off and it can happen at any age. It's not, oh, your 50s, you're now leptin resistant. Any age we're seeing this happening. There used to be a correlation to your body mass. It's interpreted via blood work, but I don't always see that correlation to be correct. I can still see someone who's a little bit leaner 
and still have a leptin resistance. Of course, you and I know this when we talk about body mass index, it does not take into account for like muscle mass and other things that could be contributing to your actual body mass. It is a good number, but it's not something that we should solely rely on for people. So yeah, it, it is really important when we when we kind of identify, you know, who is leptin resistance and why this could happen. But one of the reasons that this is happening is because we're more stressed these days. You know, we've been eating the standard American diet. Our lives are crazy and hectic and a life of convenience. You know, we're microwaving things. We're eating processed foods. We're on a lot of prescription medications. And all these things over time have started to impact our microbiome, our blood sugar levels, inflammation. We're more just exposed to crap and toxins and we're more inflamed. And all of these reasons are the reason why our leptin levels are off. And when you say off, do you mean elevated? Are you testing leptin levels in the blood in your patients? You also look at adiponectin too. Is that something that, yeah. I do look at adiponectin. When I looked at leptin, um, so we'll kind of rewind a little bit. If you think that you have leptin resistance, um, some of the symptoms that you tend to notice is maybe you're eating every hour. I can't stop eating. I'm hungry. I don't know why I need to eat. That's one symptom. You've tried everything. You're exercising, lose, you're exercising, or I should say over exercising and under eating and still not losing weight. You're like, tried everything in the books. It's not working. Maybe you hit a weight loss stall. So you kind of have the inability to lose no weight no matter what. You have constant fatigue. You're exhausted. You have low energy, but you're like been told everything is normal, right? Maybe you have worsening of your hypothyroid symptoms, right? Maybe things, these things are kind of worsening. So if you have any of these symptoms, I encourage you to go to my website, which is drbindiamd.com forward slash quiz. Take a free quiz to identify, could you be leptin sensitive, leptin clear, or leptin resistant? Okay. There's different categories I have because if your leptin is above 11, most of the time you are leptin resistant. If your leptin is between 7 and 10, you're probably in a good range. Anything below that, you know, you should be fine. You're, you're leptin clear. Leptin, again, like so many other hormones, like your DHDA, that kind of thing. It's like, I call it my Goldilocks hormone. We don't want this level to be too high, but we certainly don't want it to be too low, Stephanie, especially if we're talking about fertility. If our leptin levels are low, then we're having a harder time getting pregnant. I see this hmm. all the time. What's the relationship with low leptin and sex hormones? What? Tell me the connection there that I don't know. <laughs> We definitely don't want to be it too high, but when it's low, what's also happening is we are now having a little bit more anxious. Cortisol production is a little bit up, but there's a direct correlation between low leptin anxiety as well as estrogen levels. I see this commonly in my athletes, my female athletes traditionally, and they have lower body mass, they have a lower circulating estrogen, and their leptin levels are below three, and that's problematic. So they're most likely, most of the time, probably not ovulating or they think they're ovulating, but they're really not. Stress hormones are a little bit up because they're trying to rebound. And they're also more likely to have osteopenia or osteoporosis. There's all these different things happening at the same time. Bone turnover is a little bit high. We also tend to see, Stephanie, that their T3 free T3s end up being a little bit uh, lower at that in that state as well, which then um, they're getting the memo, their brain is getting the memo that they're not healthy enough to carry a child. Their brain is getting a memo that they're in starvation mode. Their brain doesn't get a memo of when are they going to eat again? When it, When is food coming? Their brain thinks that they're in a famine state. And so this is why if, you're, if your brain and your body thinks that, then conception is like not even going to happen. So I think what you're saying, which I'm going to just dumb down a teeny bit for the listeners, we've talked a lot about you know, fight or flight being in a high stress state on this podcast. 
I've mentioned many times that stress is your body's biggest hormone hijacker. So it kind of sounds like you're saying maybe individuals who are over-exercising, who are stressed, whose cortisol is high, may have low sex hormones and also low leptin. Is that the combination that, that you're correct. seeing that you see? Okay. Yeah. So you are testing levels for leptin. And then you, what you said, you really want to be, so over 11 is bad. That means you're leptin resistant. Um, what about adiponectin? Do you test those levels? Do you see value in that? I do check adiponectin. So if, um, if I'm more thinking that you're more insulin resistant or hemoglobin A1C may be normal, but I'm still suspecting there's in some insulin issues, that's when I'll check adiponectin. It's not one of my go-to sure. profile for every single person. So once someone has discovered they're leptin resistant, what do we do about this? Lots to do, lots to do. The first and foremost thing is I know people are going to think I'm like ridiculously crazy when I say this. I actually encourage people eat. <laughs> I actually encourage people eat food because again, because our metabolism has been so skewed from different diets and different things, it's kind of like we're, we're starting by refeeding our body. So if we have low leptin, that kind of helps kind of um, help with that. If we have high leptin, it kind of helps with that. It's kind of resetting the metabolism. Because we've been in these starvation diets and we've been at the extremes for so many years, it basically helps us identify how can we get our metabolism working in the right direction. So by starting to refeed our body, we're actually slowly revving up our metabolism. But the key is not to just refeed any crap. It's like eating the proper food. So making sure we're getting adequate amount of protein in our diet daily is essential. What do you recommend? How much do you recommend? I usually say at minimum for my females, because this at minimum can even be hard. Minimum get about 60 grams of protein a day. And that's still very low. That's still very low. But for when you, when you talk to so many people... They're not even hitting that 60 grams of protein a day, right? Because we're in a very high carb society, eating a lot of processed stuff, right? So it's changing that focus and saying, how can we get at minimum 60 grams of protein a day? And if we can achieve more than that, that's awesome. That is great. So just starting off with like the basics, the question I ask is, can you get protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? If you can get some sort of protein at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you are doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm keep at it. I think a lot of my patients, this is where protein powders come in because a lot of them are, and they're putting collagen, you know, protein in their coffee or they're making a smoothie in the morning or getting that 20 grams, at least 20 grams. Yes. Plus, if you also have meat with that, right, bacon and eggs or whatever sausage, you're getting even more protein. So I think, yeah, starting the day with, I'll say heavy protein breakfast via food and a shake is a good way to get in a heavy amount of that. It's such a great, great example and a great idea because many people struggle with getting protein in the morning. It's just we're used to carbs and bagels and cereals and toast, right? And um, there's no protein. And so if you can start off your day with protein, that starts your metabolism the right way. But more importantly, Stephanie, if for some reason, if your day gets awry because you've got kids or work and things happen, at least you got some protein in the morning, right? Exactly. It's like, it's, exactly. Like, yep. it's like making sure you're starting your day for success. You might already know that insulin resistance can lead to weight gain, but did you know that it also is one of the leading causes of death for its role in diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's? Diet changes are essential when it comes to combating insulin resistance, but additional nutrients can also help. The one I recommend the most, berberine. Berberine is a plant extract that has been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine for over 2,500 years. In addition to its long history, modern clinical trials have demonstrated that berberine supports cardiovascular health in a number of important synergistic ways. These include helping you maintain blood pressure, support healthy heart contraction and rhythm, and support healthy cholesterol and glucose levels. 
our berberine support product also contains alpha-lipoic acid or ALA, which has been shown to support blood sugar balance and is also a powerful antioxidant that scavenges free radicals. It's wonderful for maintaining healthy blood vessel and circulatory health. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily, or especially if you eat more than normal or indulge over the holidays or a birthday, where it should help reduce blood sugar spikes. Check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash berberine hyphen support. To get 10% off berberine support, use code berberine at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. Tell me what's the relationship between like triglyceride levels and leptin levels? Oh my goodness. So many people, maybe they don't realize this, but um, our triglycerides are actually metabolized in our Mm -hmm. liver. And so is our thyroid. And so is our leptin, right? So the liver is really important. Triglycerides are also the precursors to our, to diabetes or prediabetes or insulin resistance. Triglycerides are very important. And when we talk about triglycerides, one of the ways, if you find out your triglycerides levels are elevated, if you go to your doctor and your doctor says, okay, you know, your, your triglycerides are in the 200 and they really should be between 70 and 90. One of the things that you can do is actually what I recommend is getting rid of high fructose corn syrup because there's data there or specifically fruit sugars or processed, anything processed sugars will start naturally decreasing your triglycerides. Now, the connection is if you want to decrease leptin, guess what else you need to do? Slowly get rid of fruit, okay? Or fruit sugars or fructose. So that is why, again, because it's all being metabolized in their liver, they're all kind of working together. When you significantly cut out, bring down your triglycerides and you cut out fruit, If you're leptin resistant, not everybody needs to cut out fruit. I want to make that distinction, okay? Because fruit is good and has some great benefits. But if you're significantly leptin resistant and you cut out fruit, you will see leptin numbers move in the right direction. Um, What about, since we're talking about triglycerides, right, which are three glucose molecules, let's talk about just blood sugar in general. Yes. So talk about the importance of blood sugar balance to achieve weight loss. One of the things that most people, again, are doing if Let's let's talk about this. Um, this is probably my time frame is all off, but maybe like 10 years ago, the recommendations were you need to eat every two hours. You need to eat every two hours, right? And many people, including myself, probably were guilty of, okay, well, if I eat every two hours, this is going to rub up my metabolism and I'll be skinny. Right, right. No, what that was doing was giving us an insulin and blood sugar spike. Eating every two hours was actually doing that. And when you do that, Stephanie, number one, your gut's not getting any rest. So your microbiome is is constantly working and digestion is working, which is not good. But secondly, when your blood sugars are not stable because they're constantly going up and then coming down, going up and coming down, that is what's causing a lot of insulin resistance. It's not the way to do it. Your blood sugars actually need rest. This is why, this is why we encourage eating three meals a day, no snacks. Or this is another reason why we will sometimes encourage some form of intermittent fasting to allow the blood sugars to stabilize. Because when you're stabilizing your blood sugars, you're also decreasing your triglycerides. You're also managing your blood sugars better. Also essentially decreasing leptin in other ways. I want to go on a tangent for intermittent fasting just for a moment here, because I know I've had many guests come on the show, as I'm sure you have had on your show, talk about how great intermittent fasting is. And I feel like, this is just my opinion and my observation. I feel like intermittent fasting has its time and place. There, are, It is a good fit for some people, especially who have a lot of weight to lose. It can be a great strategy for them to almost train their body that they don't have to eat every two hours. I get that. However, I do feel like intermittent fasting is not a good fit for some people. 
And I do feel like this is just my opinion. And I'm just curious to know yours. And I feel like in the intermittent fasting world, a lot of individuals skip breakfast and then they have like lunch and dinner or just dinner. But I know that we're more insulin sensitive in the morning. And I feel like the proper way to intermittent fast would actually be to have breakfast. You're going to be exerting more calories through the day, have food on board, and then to skip dinner. So I'm curious to know your opinion on that. And then I want to say one more comment on intermittent fasting. So that actually may actually work out really well. I can totally see that. Again, I think psychologically, it's probably easier to skip breakfast. It is. Because, and and even for me, I'm actually not hungry in the morning. Like, it's just like, it's less like, I'm on the go, go, go. Like breakfast is the last thing that I'm thinking about. For me, I actually have to force myself to eat breakfast because I'm not hungry. But theoretically... I think that would be a good idea. And it's Our kind of what we call like picking in the morning. Yeah, and that's when we should exactly. be consuming. Yeah, exactly. And and we actually call that um, reverse intermittent fasting because it's kind of like changing the different, it's kind of intermittent fasting just at a different time. Yep. Um, so yep. I think that it would be like the experimental thing for some people to be like, maybe we don't eat at night because guess what? That's when your metabolism slows down. It makes yep. more sense, right? Like yep. why are you eating at night? But this is why if you're going to do intermittent fasting, it's eating at like, 5 p.m. You know, it's like eating a lot earlier before you go to bed. The one thing I will say about that, Stephanie, for some people that are insulin sensitive, if they're not eating before, like if they're not, if they're skipping that dinner meal, most likely what could potentially happen, I have seen this in some patients, is they will have cortisol spikes and it'll wake them up at night because their blood sugars are not stable. So I think from that perspective, I think eating in the evening will help certain patients. But then I think for certain other patients, they may could benefit by just skipping that meal completely. I think it would just be kind of like experimenting and kind of seeing the data on that. So the other thing I find, I mean, it's some individuals who intermittent fast, they love it. It's great for their lifestyle. They lose weight, right? They're all of their, you know, biometric markers improve. That's common. But what I sometimes see is for patients who are intermittent fasting, who I think are actually overdoing it, I actually see blood sugar rise in the morning. Yes. I commonly see that. Can Do you see that? And can you explain that kind of phenomenon? The other extreme of intermittent fasting, and I'll just kind of share my two cents on it. It's not for everybody. So certain females, like for myself, my area, my my age group, I would say probably not the best to do long intermittent fasting. And I'm talking about 24-hour fasting. So if you're cycling, if you're if you're having a cycle every month, if you're trying to conceive, I actually don't recommend intermittent fasting more than 12 hours. 12 hours, I think, is baseline. I think is appropriate. I think is great. Anything past that, you're starting to mess your sex hormones. You're starting to mess with your cortisol hormones, and you're starting to impact your thyroid hormones, which again, if your body's getting signaling that you're not stable, you're not going to get pregnant or you're not going to carry the baby to full term, et cetera, et cetera. So just want to get that out of the way. Intermittent fasting works really, really well for menopausal years when your hormones are, are different. Okay. So we have to take that into consideration, but it's really important to understand that most people, when they start intermittent fasting, they get some really, really great results. Everybody I know that does intermittent fasting, especially females, um, they're like, oh, I lost like, you know, 10 pounds in one month and it's been great. It's amazing. But you know what happens then, Stephanie? They hit that weight loss doll. That's what I see happen. It works really well, but then they can't lose a single ounce. And you know what's happened now? Now they're eating even less calories. And now they're only eating like twice a day. And this is what causes more leptin resistance because it's now messed up their metabolism. So this is what the problem is. And a lot of times what happens with intermittent fasting, you're doing two things. One, when you're already intermittent fasting, you're already calorie restricting. That's already hands down. That's another reason why you're probably losing weight. But what ends up happening for so many women, they now intermittent fast and then they're eating even less calories than they normally would. So if they're eating, say, 1,800 calories in a 24-hour day by eating three meals, but intermittent fasting, they're now eating about 1,600 or maybe even less 
like 1,400 calories, say. But then they're all taking a step further. Now they're eating two meals, but now they're only eating 800 calories a day. And so when you're doing that and keep restricting and keep restricting your calories, it messes up your thyroid hormones. It messes up your cortisol production. This is why they're having the blood sugar instabilities in the morning, right? They're having that peak in the morning. Your cortisol naturally rises in the morning. We should see that. But when your blood sugars are shooting up in the morning, not okay, right? Like, so all these different mechanisms start happening and that messes up your metabolism. And that's when I tell patients we need to back off intermittent fasting. Like I have patients who've done 24-hour fasts Know, even every other day, and I'm seeing A1C and I'm seeing fasting glucose numbers rise, and I'm saying, this is not good. We need to back off. Like the body is stressed. The body's telling us something. So, yeah. And I mean, so, yeah. so doing like a 12 hour fast, it's like a normal hermetic stressors. That's normal. Yep. That's okay. We can recover from that. But when we're putting our body in prolonged stressed state, bad things happen. I agree. I agree. Let's go back to blood sugar balance and what supplements you highly recommend to help. We obviously recommend diet changes, but then of course. And exercise and whatnot. But what supplements are you using? I use a couple that I really like. I kind of look at the overall picture to kind of get an idea of like what, what could be working, what, what's not. Um, when I'm looking for supplements, a couple things that I'm looking, a couple ingredients that I'm looking for are things like berberine. I love berberine. Although not great for everybody, berberine is one of my go-tos for blood sugar imbalancing. Chromium, cinnamon, those are really good supplements I like to use to incorporate with blood sugar balance. Inositol, if I think that, you know, we've got some hormonal stuff going on as well. So the combination or one or the other, or just making sure that they've got enough like B vitamins as well um, to help metabolize, you know, things. So that's kind of my go-to. I also like apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar really does well for blood sugar stability for some people. So yeah, those are just some of my go-to. And how do you have them take that? Is that once a day or is it with meals or is it... So apple cider vinegar, if I'm going to have them do it, I like them to do it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. And a couple things. I actually like the tabs better than the capsule. I'm sorry, the, the capsules or tabs better than the um, actual liquid. And that's just because I'm not going to lie. Like when I take it, I feel like it burns my throat. It's gross. It's not something that you want to do first thing in the morning. So take it as a, a supplement form in like a capsule or tablet. And you're just going to get the same amount of benefits. So how does it impact glucose? Like, is it just improving digestion? So a lot of times with apple cider vinegar, it does uh, decrease your appetite. So that's one of the things that's happening. It starts decreasing your appetite, does start stimulating the gastric juices to kind of start working early in the morning. And so that's how that usually works when it comes to one of the reasons why I'll recommend it if, we, if we're trying to manage blood sugars. So it's a great alternative. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. Some people do really well with it and some people don't. I agree. Yep. What about fish oil? Do you use a lot of omega-3 fatty acids? I do. I do use it. But you know, I cannot definitively say there's a correlation between omega-3 fatty acids and blood sugar balance. I'll use it for multiple reasons, but I can't say I see if I'm giving you fish oil, I see your A1C come down or your blood sugars, fasting blood sugars come down. I, there, I have not seen that in clinical practice yet, but sure. I do recommend it for inflammation, for managing cholesterol levels. And we'll lower triglycerides. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Windows appropriately. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And that's a key. Everybody listening, you have to actually take high, high doses of omega-3 fatty acids to get beneficial results. You know, a lot of times um, just taking one omega-3 fatty acid and that dose probably is, I'm just going to guess, maybe like 800 milligrams is not going to do anything for you. You actually have to be up to like 4,000 milligrams or four grams for something to happen. You may likely have heard me talk about one of my favorite products in several episodes called Adrenal Calm. It contains a unique blend of botanicals and nutrients that support the stress response, particularly promoting cortisol balance. 
Specifically, Adrenal Calm includes a blend of adaptogenic botanicals and nutrients formulated to counteract the effects of daily stress and support healthy energy levels. It also contains phosphatidylserine and L-theanine, both of which reduce that half-life of cortisol, or in other words, calm adrenaline. I love using this in the afternoon if I've had a stressful workday or before public speaking. It can also be taken on a daily basis as many of us have more daily stress now than ever before. If you're interested in learning more about adaptogenic herbs, read chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and check out our product guide info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash adrenal hyphen calm. To get 10% off adrenal calm or L-theanine, use code calm at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. So what about semaglutide? So the GLP-1 agonist, do you use those medications? We've been using in the last couple months and we've had incredible success with weight loss in our practice. So this is not, a, I'll say, replacement for lifestyle changes, but what are your results? What are your thoughts on it? How do you use it? I think there's a place and for everything. I actually personally do like semaglutide. It works really well for my patients especially for my patients that are already eating well, exercising, or, or, or on the other end, are not doing that either. You know, it, I use it for a wide, wide array of patients. It is very hard to get a hold of. You know, insurance does not like getting it, does not like paying for it. It's hard to get it approved. But the people that we have had it on have had some amazing results. Side effects so far are not so great, but that's expected. And that's just because of how it's working. I love them because semaglutide does multiple things. It is decreasing appetite, which is one way, but then it also impacts leptin, which is one of the reasons why I like it because I was gonna it, you, ask get, if it did. you get, yeah, you get full faster. So yeah. that by eating a couple bites of something, um, your chicken, you're already full, which then your that messaging and that signaling for leptin works really, really well. So most people are bound to lose approximately about 10 pounds a month with it. And I do love it. It works really well, but not everybody's um, a candidate for it. You know, so if there's a thyroid cancer history in the family or in the individual, they're not a good candidate. If they have a history of pancreatitis, not candidate for that. And you need to make sure you stay super hydrated with it, but it does work. Yep. I agree. I find the same thing. So I want to go back to this leptin resistance because I feel like a lot of my patients potentially have that. And I'm, I'm just trying to summarize kind of what the take from you is on helping to improve that. So if levels are too high, are you saying in most of these individuals, they're not eating enough? Is that the main take home? No, it's not necessarily they're not eating enough. It's kind of tricky because every individual, multiple things can be happening for them, right? So if we're talking about someone who has 38-year-old woman who um, has a leptin of 33, um, maybe she has a body mass index of like 30. Maybe she has an A1C of like 5.9. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out. Just a bunch of numbers out there, right? So in her case, she definitely has leptin resistance. She already has insulin resistance as well. Now, she may be someone that is intermittent fasting right now because she's been told that intermittent fasting is good for her. In her situation, Stephanie, it may be that she's not eating enough calories. And that's why she's, she's, having, she's at a weight loss stall and is having some blood sugar instability as well. Versus someone else who is on a typical standard American diet, same age, same same numbers, but is on a standard American diet, but is actually eating maybe like 4,000 calories a yeah, day. Yeah. Does that make sense? We're doing different things for different people to kind of bring that leptin down. I'm not going to improve her leptin resistance by telling this woman who's 38, who's already intermittent fasting to intermittent fast. I'm going to worsen her, her leptin level. 
I'm going to worsen her metabolism. On the other end, if someone, same age, same profile, that's eating 4,000 calories a day, if I get them to cut out one meal a day and I get them to do like an even 12-hour to 14-hour intermittent fast, their leptin level will come down. So it is very individual. Maybe I should have opened the podcast with this, but why do you feel like many diets never seem to work and people just gain their weight back? Because it's short-term and it's hard to sustain. And let's be honest, we like to eat. <laughs> our cultures, our society is revolved around food. You know, like you can't go to a birthday party or a holiday function or anything without food. And we like good tasting food. Let's be honest, right? And when you are restricting somebody for extreme periods of time, at some point, they're going to be like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I want to go back to eating that pizza or I want to go back to eating a certain way. It's not sustainable long-term. And this is why diets fail. This is why we have to talk about long-term resolution and results because all of us are different. It's finding what works for you, the individual personally, and how we can make your metabolism work for you and rub it up so you can still enjoy eating foods and keep you healthy and still not feel deprived. So how can a listener improve leptin resistance? So they go to their doctor, they have their leptin level checked and their number's high. Is there something that they can do today to improve that? Or are yes. you really saying there has to be an individualized approach? There is an individualized approach, but I do have some like general recommendations that I'll, I'll recommend for you guys. And if you actually go onto my website, atlantaweightlossdoctor.com, I have five ways to kind of start rubbing up your metabolism. And one of the things that I'll, I'll start telling you to do is majority people, if we start eating three meals a day, three meals a day with protein, we're already starting to rev up our metabolism. Okay. Three meals a day, whether you're on the lower end of leptin or high end of leptin, you're changing that conversation you're having with your body by ensuring that you're getting three meals a day, eating every four to six hours in between, no snacks, getting lots of protein. That's already going to start revving up your metabolism. For people that have higher circulating leptin levels, having them cut out fruit or decreasing their fruit that. consumption, yep. Yep. that will start decreasing leptin levels too. The other thing that's really, really important that people take for granted, making sure you're getting good quality sleep. When you're getting good quality sleep, maybe that means you're taking a melatonin or, um, or a little supplement to help with sleep, or maybe you're not. You're just kind of um, optimizing your bedtime routine. That really helps with metabolic flexibility. That really helps with blood sugar control. That really helps with so many different things, balancing your cortisol levels. Sleep, sleep, sleep is important. The other thing I'm going to harp on uh, for every single person, depending on where you are on the scale, stress management, guys. Like adaptogens, adaptogens, adaptogens are your best friends. Like if you are in a perfect world and you can be a Buddhist monk and meditate all day and be in Zen mode 24 seven, like I praise you. Okay. But let's be honest, many of us can't. Like we are always on the go. We're in a hectic society. We've got kids, we've got work, we've got fam. It's just we, so many things coming at us. You have to learn how to manage your stress. If you don't know how to manage your stress, you cannot control anything else. When your stress levels are off, cortisol levels are spiking, you're not sleeping, your blood sugars are off, leptin's going to be off, inflammation, yada, yada, yada. It's all goes together. So first and foremost, Find something that can help bring your stress management down. Do activities that you love doing. Vacations help, but they're short term, you know? So adaptogens are my go-to. I love adaptogens. Because what are your favorite? Really Which ones do you use? What I love ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is my favorite. I will talk about ashwagandha all day because it does so many wonderful things. So that's my personal favorite. Again, not everybody's a candidate for ashwagandha, but talk to your practitioner about that to see if it's, if it's good for you. But... If you can learn how to manage stress, so many positive impact and changes happen from that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us again where your leptin quiz is and what your websites are and kind of where listeners can find you. 
So definitely take my quiz. It's at drbindiamd.com forward slash quiz. So it's D-R-B-I-N-D-I-Y-A-M-D.com forward slash quiz. You can get a free download at atlantaweightlossdoctor.com. So it's A-T-L-A-N-T-A-W-E-I-G-H-T-L-O-S-S-D-O-C.com, atlantaweightlossdoctor.com. Just click on the link and you'll get a free download of how to um, rub up your metabolism. And those things really work, I promise. Yay, I'll check that out myself. Well, tell us your top longevity tip. If you had to pick one. So if I had to pick one, I probably already said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Manage your stress. You've got to learn how to manage your stress. Stress, unfortunately, can be the reason why you have a heart attack. It's the reason why you're depressed. It can be the reason why you have an autoimmune condition. So learn how to manage stress. So many of us, myself included, we've been exposed to trauma. We've been We've dealt with hurt, grief so many different things. And we kind of have to get to the root cause of this stuff. So learn how to manage stress, whether it's lifestyle changes, therapy, meditation, yoga, adaptogens, quitting your job, getting divorced, whatever, whatever you need to do. Seriously, manage stress. Because if you never manage stress, you're just causing a whole slew of other problems that are going to be like snowballing into effect. So learn how to manage stress and you will live longer and you'll have a more fulfilled and joyful, happy life. Absolutely agreed. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show today and really sharing how important identifying and treating leptin resistance is. I'm sure my listeners will get a lot out of this great topic for January. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Stephanie. If you haven't had your leptin levels checked, consider having this done and also be sure to take her leptin quiz, link of which will be posted in the show notes. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.